Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Romeo, and today joined by Joe Thomas and Gav Buckland. As we look back on Everton's comprehensive 3 0 victory over Crystal Palace at Goodison Park on Saturday afternoon, it was a much needed win for the Blues as they shot up the table after three consecutive Premier League defeats at the hands of Manchester United, Tottenham, and Newcastle. As well as looking back on the game, we'll also look at James Tarkovsky's role in the 90 minutes, Seamus Coleman's, Alex Awobi's, and of course the return of Dominic Calvert Lewin as he backed his first goal of the season. But Joe, you were at Goodison Park alongside myself, and Gav was obviously sat a few rows in front of us on Saturday for the game. Not just a much needed win for Everton, but a much needed performance from Frank Lampard's side. I don't think it could have gone any better, could it? I think if you went to um, if you went to Frank Lampard at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the game and said, "Can I have a checklist of?" Of things that I want to go well, I think it would have been absolutely a phenomenon. The intensity was there. Dominic Calvert-Lewin got back on the score sheet. You know, Mikalenko was overlapping as a fullback, something that he'd spoken about as wanting to see the day before when I'd asked him. You know, obviously, Awobi was a creative force again. The lads out wide did well. Everybody got stuck in, and they even had a VAR decision that was overturned in their favour. So, I mean, it, it really couldn't have gone much better. And then just as you're probably sitting there with five minutes ago thinking it couldn't go any better, you had that wonderful goal from Dwight McNeil as well, just to just to put the cherry on the cake as well. So, you know, it was a, it was a great performance against a side that, you know, I was a little bit nervous going ahead, going into the game because Palace are a good side. Like, you know, we've seen them cause good teams a lot of problems and the likes of, of Zahar and... And likes of Zahar and Ezzy and a couple of other players, you know, they pose a real threat when they get going. But Everton just didn't allow them to get a foothold into the game. You know, from Seamus Coleman on Zahar to, you know, Anana Gay and Iwobi in the middle. You know, they were they were excellent to a man. It was it really was a wonderful performance and something I think we were all very relieved to see. Bearing in mind the results of the three games before then and the way the table was starting to look. I've obviously not ahead of the game myself, John and Christie in the press room and I haven't stopped to remember another member of the, the press, one of the national media lads. And one thing I think we all kind of expected was changes. I think after the last two games, prior to Saturday, you know, we thought Frank Lampard might look to freshen up. We went with the same 11 again. And despite them eyebrows being raised when team news dropped, he was rewarded, wasn't he? Because all 11 put a massive shift in. I think Joe mentioned this point on Saturday, Joe, was about the need to keep keep a consistent uh, selection and don't be browbeaten into... <laughs> Um, though I mean to be fair, let's face it, changes were just you know you can see why people wanted changes, and you know some of the comments when there wasn't any were, were oh no we're going to have the same results as the last three three games, especially as Joe said, Palace are a dangerous team, but blend and consistency take time, and sometimes to do that you've got to have the same team playing together and then let them let them gel, and just you saw that in spades didn't you on on Saturday both in terms of where the way they pressed, also understanding the roles within in the team. And 
at long last, some somewhat can be described as joined up football, mainly in the, the second and third goals. So Frank Frank could be quite, you know, sitting there quite pretty, pretty on it and saying, you know, I told you so, but it's only one game, obviously. Um, I, I also think as well within that and, and the fact there's lack of substitutions that there's probably a little bit of a very small elephant in the room that maybe Frank doesn't think he's got option, you know a lot of options on the bench that he thinks that can come in. And um, though we've obviously seen that with McNeil coming coming off the off the bench, uh, so yeah, um, very surprised. But at the end of the day, I think that helped in the performance in terms of keeping the same eleven. And it's good to see a sub score as well, isn't it? Especially a goal of such quality. Joe, obviously, you know, in terms of not just the same eleven, but it's the same philosophy of coach, wasn't it, from Frank Lampard? Obviously, I know you touched on it before, but you know, when asked about Mikalenko and obviously when he was asked about him again post match, you know, it kind of got to be like he just told him to start overlapping, basically get over the halfway line and start joining in. But it was the same approach, it was the same tactics, and I think you know Frank Lampard's coming for criticism in the last couple of weeks, but he deserves praise because he stuck by what he believes is right. And he's got his reward, hasn't he? Because you know he was rewarded with a three 0 win. One of the things that, you know, I was at Finch Farm on Friday for the, the, the pre-Palace press conference and, you know, I asked Frank how he was hoping to address the, the creativity issues that had come to the fore in the games before then, um, you know, and saying whether he thought the solutions lay going through the middle and going through a Wobi or whether it was also a case of out wide. And he was very clear that, you know, he wanted more creativity from out wide. He wanted more work and more... Um, almost connectivity between the wide players. You spoke a lot about the relationship between the wingers that Everton have and the fullbacks that Everton have. And one of the things that he was is quite clear, and obviously Gordon and Gray are both young, you're relatively young players. And I think in the Everton side that he inherited, they'd become used to playing a very specific role. And that was at the back end of last season. Everton were you know, a counter-attacking side that had to be pragmatic and sit deep. So the, re- the reliance on the likes of Gray and Gordon was often... And it's a certain, the same for um, Alex Iwobi at right wing back as well when he was used there was almost to to get the ball, you know, to be an outlet to get the ball and just try and run 30 yards of it to relieve pressure. And the problem with that mindset was it carried over into this season a little bit, even though Gray and Gordon were playing further up the pitch because Everton, because Everton were trying to be a little bit more progressive. But by continuing that mindset, what was happening was there was a, a huge gulf was opened up between the fullbacks behind them because obviously they can't keep up with them and they're not... It's almost tunnel vision from the likes of Gordon and, and Gray to either get to the byline or to cut inside to the box. So when they come up against a couple of defenders, they've got nowhere to go because they're isolated. You know, Frank was was saying that what he wants is for there to almost be more intelligence from 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 everyone out wide. And you know, if sometimes they you know take a step back or um, you know a, a little bit kind of combative, then they can allow the likes of Mikalenko and Seamus Coleman to you know to have the time to support them to overlap them to give them an option going forward or to at least support them going backwards. And we really saw that on on Saturday. You know, we really saw that from, from Mikalenko in particular. From Coleman, not so much. I think it was a strategy from for, to almost have Coleman operating as almost like a third centre-back sometimes. I think they were well aware of the threat that Zaha has the ability to pose and they just wanted to nullify that as much as possible. But by Coleman being so conservative as it was, it gave Mikalenko on the other side, especially with Anana and... Um, and, and Gay sitting deep, it just gave Mikalenko the freedom to, to push forward 
And, you know, I, for one, wasn't expecting the change to come so immediately after um, Frank Lampard had said what he was trying to do in the press conference. Like 24 hours later, I was there watching as Mikolenko, who's been very defensively resolute this season, but has looked quite limited going forward. You know, in the first 10 minutes, I counted the overlaps to Mario Gray three times. Three times in the first 10 minutes. You know, he hasn't been doing anything like that for most of this season. And on one occasion, he even got into the box in the hope of maybe getting onto the end of a Gray cross. Uh, and it was an absolute sea change in approach, Mevin. And you could just see that, you know, along with the wider intensity of the side and the, the aggressiveness of them, you know, it really forced Crystal Palace back. And it, it gave Everton options. And, you know, we saw that most clearly with, with the second goal where, you know, obviously, a, the wonderful goal that it was, it was it was Mikolenko who ended up being the spare man who'd run the length of the pitch to be that spare man, to have the space to then get the shot underway, which which Gator palmed into the into the course of Anthony Gordon. So, you know, it, it really was fascinating to hear what Frank was trying to do, watch him then stick with the thought process, even though it hadn't really worked in recent games, but then see everything work as he intended it to in the 19 minutes that followed. And, you know, I don't think anyone should get too carried away. Obviously, it was a, it was a great performance on Saturday, and but this is a project that still is in its infancy, and, and consistency is going to be the the mark of of true progress. So hopefully, we'll see that again in games going forward. Um, but you know, I, I don't think we're going to flip a switch and see it happen and work every single time. But it was really positive because you could see, you could really see what Lampard wants to do, and you could see how effective it can be. And he's got a group of players that are capable of doing that on occasion. And hopefully you can get them doing it time and time again. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Obviously, Gavin, John Tussle aren't there in terms of mechanical overlapping, but one of the big things post-match I, I could take from, you know, speaking to fans and stuff was how pleased fans were that Everton took the, the game to Palace and they played on the front foot and all. They could be a dangerous team, Palace, when... You know, they're a bit of a jackal and high, but when they're on, they're, they're, they're on it. But to see Everton play on that front foot and, and get at Palace and, and try and get in their faces and, and, and stamp their authority in the game, it's pleasing to see, wasn't it? Because we haven't always seen that Goodison Park over the last 18 months taking the... No, absolutely. The- absolutely. Um, good thing to say about Mikalenko, there was times, particularly in the first half, um, where he was, he was his starting position was ahead of Gray, wasn't he? He was he's sort of playing like a left winger. And Gray was like sort of playing... Tucked him more left back, sort of 15, 20 yards behind him. That was sort of out of possession. And I think that, again, that's the type of thing just to get us further up the pitch, which is effectively the answer to your question is is, is we were further up the pitch than what we have been. I know that's easy when you're at home than away. Uh, but, but we were on Saturday. I mean, we had a lot of possession and a lot of the ball in the opening 10, 15 minutes and we're pressurising and, 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 and that gets the crowds behind to that, doesn't it? And it we were, we were, I thought we were really effective in terms of pressing Palace and um, we were not afraid over the 90 minutes to be physical when we wanted because I thought I thought Palace were quite physical. Um, as Joe said, I think they've got some good players, but I think some, some of it is a bit wasted, really, to be honest with you. Um, but it was good to see, even though Palace still had more possession than what we did, I noticed after the game, which, which is funny, isn't it? Is that the match stats didn't reflect the game you actually saw over the 90 minutes. They had a lot of possession, but wasn't in dangerous positions. So that gets the crowd behind you, as you say, Connor. And um, it was good to see. I just think we had one rocky patch, maybe the first 10, 15 minutes of the, the second mm. half. But it, it was good to see in terms of our mindset, 
a completely different um, performance than what we've seen in the previous two away matches in particular. Joe, I've just touched on it there in terms of the physicality we saw from Palace because, of, you know, at times it was it got pretty heaters, I think it's, it's fair to say, on, on the pitch. I know Frank Lampard was asked post-match about, you know, the role Tarkovsky and Cody kind of play in, in, in the, the flare-up, but although he tried to play it down, I think the smile gave it away and he was somewhat satisfied with what his two centre-backs are doing and that the, the, the tag that they had for so much of last season, not just under Frank Lampard, of course, and the referees as well, about being soft and a little bit, you know, being easy to get out is, is firmly being put to bed now. Listen, I've never seen that, you know, don't, don't die down, don't take any prisoners. They're absolute leaders, aren't they? Both of them, Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky. And I think that the minute that any of their teammates come under pressure, they're straight in there to defend them. And that's something that we all want to see. And I think, you know, Crystal Palace can be quite physical, but they were physical in quite a petulant way at the at the weekend, which is a response to Everton just being so much better than them over the course of the 90 minutes, I think. And, you know, we saw the, the game's major flashpoint was the, the Gwehi late tackle on Calvert-Lewin that was followed by... You know, Wilfred Zahar, Floor and Gordon off off the ball. And you know, both both were late, both were unnecessary, and straight into the mix running twenty odd yards to be involved with James Tarkovsky. And I just love the way that I love the way that he got involved. The melee then ensued, and as he's got three or four powers players all trying to square up to him, he's just there leaning back and smiling. And it was just, you know, I mean, we all know how good some part reacts to something like that. And and that's what you that's what you want. As long as it's obviously harnessed in the right way, you want that little bit of bite. You want that fight. You want that we're all in it together and, you know, we'll back each other up. And, you know, if someone's up for a, if someone's putting pressure or trying to bully one of our players, then, you know, we'll go in there and step in and, and, and make sure we put a stop to that. And what I really, really liked was it wasn't just that flare up and the fact that so many Everton defenders were willing to, you know, jump in to protect their own teammates but it was the it was the minutes after that when obviously Tarkovsky and Mateta had been involved in that that head-to-head and you know the ball was was going in, in towards the Gladys Street and it, Tarkovsky it was Tarkovsky versus Mateta and he probably could have shielded it out for a goal kick Tarkovsky but instead of doing that despite being on a booking from a flare-up that happened just you know seconds or minutes earlier Tarkovsky puts a huge tackle in and not only does he not only does he win the ball, but he still wins the goal kick anyway. Plus, he gets to make his mark and put that statement down on the players that you know, you know, I'm not having any of this. I'm not having you trying to to bully or or mess around any of my teammates. And it was just, I mean, you saw that you saw the home fans absolutely love that. And I think even on match of the day, they were highlighting it. You know, later later that night, it's just a, a great play piece of play, not just defensively, but also in terms of you know the the, the leadership value and the, and the tone that it sets. Um, you know, in, in, in protecting your teammates and you know, showing that you're showing your opponents that you're not going to be you know treated like that and, and, and let them get away with it. I thought it was, it was fantastic. Gav, just just on to our cost, because obviously you know, Joe referenced it there, but you know, Danny Murphy on match today on Saturday was, was very glowing in his praise of Tarkovsky and I think he brands him the most informed centre back in the in English centre back in the Premier League at the minute. I know we, we don't like to talk too much about England on this, but. Do you think he's got an outside chance to get on the plane for the World Cup alongside? Because obviously we expect Conor Cody to lead the squad. Do you think Tarkovsky could make a late push given his impressive form? Uh, possibly. I mean, it's not a position that I'm thinking off the top of my head, but a few injuries, a few players maybe not at the best. Um, could be. Thinking selfishly as an Everton supporter, but is that good or not? <laughs> 
not so sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, possibly. Whether he's, you know, I'm not sure how was international when was the last time he played for England. It's a big ask, isn't it, really? Um, but I think um, Dan, Danny Murphy's right in that. I can't think of a better English centre-half at the moment in the in the Premier League, apart from Pearson standing three yards. Oh, uh, just took away that man out. So, there was a good point made, but I don't know that fair player ever made it. It said uh, how good San and Cody and Tarkovsky would have been if he made it around 2017-18. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was talking to a, a former Royal Blue podcast member uh, before, and there was I was saying and I did mention this at, at the podcast at the time. I lied to you in 2017 when we bought Key. He was a Burnley season ticket fan. He's a Burnley fan. He was a season ticket holder, and he said he bought the wrong centre half. He should have bought Tarkovsky, and he said that in 2017. And with all due respect to to, to Michael Keane, who's had some good 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 moments and good games for us. When you see Tarkovsky, you can you can see why, can't you? With all due respect to Michael Keane. And he's, he's been excellent. But as you say, it's not a bit like Conor Cody. The influence that they exert is far beyond throwing in tackles, as Joe was just talking about there. It's you know, whenever there's a scrap, you're quite comforted that that Cody and Tarkovsky are on the on the scene, aren't you, really? Um and you saw that on Saturday. But he's he's been excellent. Been excellent all season, one one or two, maybe. Rash moments, but yeah, he's been the top class uh, for us. And um, but what we now, what we are we still? Was it thirteen goals in 12, 11, 12 games? Is it something like that? Yeah. Um, even even when we've played badly, we've not conceded that a lot, have we? You know, thinking of Spurs and Newcastle. Well, you uh, think five goals coming the last week? Well, prior to Saturday coming. Yeah, week, yeah. Some of them were mistakes, not really necessarily down to central defensive mistakes either. Um, yeah, excellent. But I, I agree with me. Danny Murphy be there or thereabouts, possibly for the World Cup. Who knows? Let's face it, he's not the only Everton player who could make a late run for the World Cup, is he? Joe, in terms of top-class Everton players, one man who's been top-class for the Blues for a number of years now, and he was the cover star on the Saturday programme, Seamus Coleman. Obviously, you know, it was a big season for Seamus Coleman in terms of, you know, he started on the bench, Nathan Patterson was ahead of him. Obviously, he's been given a chance after Patterson unfortunately picked up an injury while playing for Scotland. But again, on, on Saturday, he shows experience in class, didn't he? Because once again, Wilfred Sahar got absolutely nothing out of Seamus Coleman. And Coleman, just fair to illustrate why he probably going down as Everton's greatest ever transfer. What a, what a performance. What a performance. We all know what a, a threat Wilfred Sahar can pose. And, you know, it was, it was largely non-existent on Saturday. There was, Gav's alluded to it already, I think the, the, the one period of, of worry, I think, was just that ten minutes after the beginning of the second half, and as Palace just had to have a little bit more influence, and you know, there's that moment when when Wilfred Zaha was bearing down on goal in the box, and and Coleman put that tackle in, and he just timed it to absolute perfection. Um, you know, he was just he was just monumental, wasn't he? I think it was a big game for both Everton's fullbacks, which we've already talked about, Mikalenko, but. You know, whilst I think the vast majority of Evans fan base you know, was maintaining the patience after the three defeats, the lack of creativity was a problem. And I think people were just starting to, you know, wonder whether or not Coleman was the right answer and obviously express a bit of frustration. I think that, that Patterson had been injured and that Coleman was in there. 
uh, and also expressing a little bit of frustration with the at that point the lack of forward um, momentum that that Mikalenko had. And both both issues were were addressed quite stunningly against uh, against Crystal Palace. But yeah, Coleman just you know he's he's so experienced, he's so composed. You know, I felt this a little bit when he had his first game of the season. That, that when he started against Southampton, it, it was the same. You know, you know that obviously you know he's one of the older members of the squad now, um, and he isn't going to have the same you know same pace and as as he as he did when he first came to Everton. But just what he lacks in his legs. Um, compared to when he first broke into the team, you know he just makes up for in that experience. His positioning is just it's just phenomenal. He can just anticipate everything, um, and he was just so good on on Saturday. You know he, he didn't give Zahara a sniff. It, it really was um, a commanding performance from him. Gavin, you know, in terms of Coleman, who did for me what sums up at the end was the, the free kick that passed on Stafford's time. What what got blazed over? As soon as he knew it was going over the bar. Seamus Coleman started almost the to score the fourth goal. I think it was, it was such a joy that, you know, the side were going to keep another clean sheet so far this season. <clears throat> and for someone who kind of lived last season, I think like a supporter at times when he, you know, he's heard him speaking stuff, he must be greatly kind of pleased with the, the way the club's going now in terms of you know, the direction under Frank and, and the players it's bringing in because for a long time it looked like Seamus Coleman could possibly end his Everton career with a relegation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but he didn't, did he? Um, and I think he's is solid, solid days, isn't it? Really, awesome of his career. I think we've missed Patterson's physicality and offensive threat. To be fair, um, especially against the, the two, two or three good teams he just played. But that game was ideal, wasn't it, for, for Seamus on? On Saturday, an old-fashioned left winger, and um, yeah, I thought he played superbly. I mean, it was a great tackle, wasn't it, Zahar? I mean, given Zahar's reputation, a high-risk tackle, I would say. Not a lot of margin for that there, there, and an important part of the game. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that some of Zahar's petulance in the second half was the fact that James has hardly given him a kick all game. Certainly, and uh, that's good to say. And um, the good thing is, I suppose, and it, it, the sort of assurance you get is, you know, Patterson has another injury later on in the season. You know, Seamus can can step in, can't he? You know, and that so it's, yeah, excellent. Um, and uh, you know, long may it continue. Uh, Seamus got a lot of time for for Coleman as a player and as a person and as an Evertonian, and it was great to see him. Rolling back the ears on on Saturday with a, an excellent performance. Joe, we, we can't escape not talking about this man because again, he was absolutely superb, and I think he has now firmly silenced any critics that were out there questioning his ability towards Everton. But Alex Obi, possibly Everton's man of the match again. Uh, you know, two assists. I think it was another two assists. He's only Kevin De Bruyne's got more assists than him this season in the Premier League. She's not a bad person to be, to be second behind on any list, is it? If we're being honest, but again, he was just absolutely superb. And the confidence you can see the confidence in his in the way he's playing, can't you? That he's just on the level of the medical I've, I've seen before. He should have more assists as well, really. I'm just thinking of I can definitely think of the Damari Gray chance away at Aston Villa that the, the world be crossed for and, and which Gray really should have scored. Um, you know, he's been he's been Everton's main source of creativity, hasn't he, for, for this season so far. Obviously, we had the goal against Manchester United, which was a stunner, albeit 
you know, Everton then struggled for the rest of that game. I think we're almost running out of superlatives to describe Alex Awobi at some point. We've probably got to start thinking about... Um, I, I wonder, I mean, maybe you two can help me with this. At what point does it reach a level where we can start discussing whether we should have a, stadium, a statue for him outside Bramley Moor? <laughs> when, 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 does that, when does that come into it? I, I, you know what? I was given to Mari today a statue outside Bramley Moor for the fact he had our first shot on target for two and a half games. <laughs> <laughs> On Saturday, I think that was worthy of uh, worthy of, of a permanent celebration. But, but yeah, but I mean, he's just been absolutely phenomenal, hasn't he? And you know, he's another player that Frank Lampard and his coaching team have been been crucial to his you know to his renaissance, really. And and the the, the other thing with with Awobi as well is you know we're, we're fortunate in the position that we are. We get to speak to the players and interview them every now and then. You know, I've spoken with Alex a couple of times. He's just a really, really nice, nice guy. You know, he is a really nice guy. He seems to care. You know, when I go in and out of Finch Farm, you know, quite often you know, I'll see players stopping and signing autographs for the fans that are waiting outside for the players to come out. You know, I often see Alex Awobi being there among them, happy to sit there and just, you know, say hello to everybody and, and, and sign autographs. You know, I think... Uh, it, he must be he must be loving life at the minute and and he deserves to be because he's he's been Everton's player this season so far. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And you know, in terms of everything that he's done for the club over the past you know ten months now, obviously he put a real shift in at, at right wing back when he needed to at the back end of last season. And then he came into centre midfield because to be quite frank, Everton you know had a weak centre midfield that was full of injuries. You know, the I think the first time he played was the last preseason friendly when Dynamo Kiev came to, to Goodison Park and, and Efton played Decore and Awobi um, in centre midfield. It really was a makeshift partnership. And you're thinking, ah, oh, we're one week away from Chelsea. I know there's some injuries, but this is a little bit of a concern. But Awobi is, you know, he started the season there against Chelsea and he's continued in that position. He's made it his own. And, you know, he, he really has been a standout for Everton this season. Not, not just for Everton, but in the Premier League this season. You know, he's, he's, he's been superb. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, these type of performances we're seeing from Wolby, though, they're almost becoming the norm now, aren't they? You know, people are expecting to, to be doing what he's doing. And, and again, that just shows the, the difference and, and the, you know, the, the massive turnaround in this form from probably this time last year where, you know, let's face it, he's probably one of the first players to be criticised if, if ever, ever, anything went wrong for the Blues. Yeah, because of his fee and the fact that, let's face it, he's not performed in two and a half years here, rather, apart from scoring against Wolves every time he played against them. Um, yeah, I actually thought on, on Saturday, I thought there were some times where he reverted to old Alex Awobi, to be honest with you. There was times where I think his form dropped a little bit, but it's all about affecting games, isn't it? One of my favourite phrases in football is affecting games, and Alex affected the game. Tremendously on Saturday, didn't he? In key times, I mean, not only did they two assists, but I think um, I think you'll find the great team move to the second goal. He was the only player to make two passes, wasn't he? Ah, you know. Um, so I thought it's all about affecting the game, and it's it's uh, this goes back to a conversation we had, and you might remember this, uh, Joe, because no, you won't. I think Connor, you probably did, but so I'm still not hundred percent. Convinced about our midfield, as as we well know, I still think we need somebody who can pass. 
And I was saying, I was saying, need somebody who can pass, somebody's box to box, and somebody who can be a creative midfielder up top. And I felt that Anana can do one of the jobs. And and I said about we needed a a, a attacking midfielder. And Joe, you've said turned around and said, could Awobi be that attacking midfielder? And I, because and I, I remain to be convinced because I still think he's a. So we say he's a deep line. I don't know. It sounds like a like a oxymoron. He's a deep line attacking midfielder. Is the balls he plays in tend to be quite deep, deep positions. He doesn't really get in the box and be creative for me enough. But you saw that on Saturday, and I'm just wondering. Connie said about like the same team on Saturday, but it was the same team playing slightly different roles, wasn't it? The world was obviously playing a more offensive role and getting in the box a lot more than what he had done previously. And I I probably underestimated there. I didn't think he had that in his locker that day. <laughs> that their goal, that was that was uh, you know, if, if that'd been a Man City player talking about it, you'd be you'd doing it, you'd still be talking about it, wouldn't you? That'd be Kevin De Bruyne. Laying on one for Haaland on a, on Saturday, you'd, you'd still be talking about it now. It was a, it was a great bit of skill, and that's one that's the thing I need to see from Orby more is 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 flair and you know a bit bit of intuitive skill in and around the opposition box, and you saw that on Saturday and long may may continue. But yeah, it, it's it's you, you are right that. It, in that he's a completely you know it's a, it's a major sea change and I give Frank credit a lot for that. To be fair, it's no coincidence that his, his performances have improved compared to his first two and a half years since Lampard came in. And I think Frank needs to take a hell of a lot of um, you know a, a hell of a lot of plaudits for that. And uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's good to see Alex. Being consistent as well, which is what you want. I think it's only De Bruyne has got more assists, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, and considering it's a team that's not scored a lot of goals, that's a, that's a really um, that, that 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 in itself is is slightly misleading. But yeah, yeah, great great fella as well, as you say, by the sounds of it. I also remember Gav talking about Awobi. You making the point a couple of times in, in previous episodes about the fact that Arsenal Ben clearly saw something in them, and that you know perhaps we were all being a little bit. So you get to jump the gun at the time, and that, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, Benga well, was obviously you know highly thought of, highly respected person in football, and that you know it, are we now maybe seeing what ben, Arsene Wenger saw all them years ago, and what? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And you trust Wenger's judgment on it on a young player implicitly, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. Apart from when you had Franny Jeffers there, and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I get that. But he's been played out of position, hasn't he? Will be. He's been played right, right wing, left wing. Um, he's done well at right wing back for us. Um, and though he said he like playing down the middle, he did that with Ancelotti. Didn't work out, but it's confidence, isn't it? And having having the right coaching and the right management, and you get the impression he's got that with Frank, which he's not had with um, any of his previous managers, of which I'm trying to count how many he's had now, even though Tony been here. Three and a half years. Um, yeah, I, I think Lampard takes a lot of credit. He, he's picked them up off the pitch, hasn't he, from very early on, saying how well he trains and stuff like that. And I think the world has responded in uh, in great style. Joe, we will talk about the, the first goal um, shortly because we will, we will talk about Calvert-Lewin. But I just want to look at goals two and three on Saturday because they were 
both in their own right, excellent football goals in terms of the play. I mean, you know, certainly the second goal, the moments I absolutely love, and I think it's been put on Twitter, is where someone gets the ball in midfield and the crowd all shout turn at once. Like, you, like it's, you know, just echoes around Wooderson turn and all of a sudden never got the pitch. And, but that type of football is refreshing to see, isn't it? Because this is not just an Everton team winning ugly. This is an Everton team that want to play and want to get the ball down and, and try and, you know, get the pitch passing and moving, not just lumping it forward and, and, win, and trying to get a flick on what Dominic Calvert-Lewin come with. It's refreshing to see, um, absolutely. Uh, but I also think that people need to realise that if they want to see more of it, then there has to be a bit of patience whilst Everton, while the players become more accustomed to playing that. And I think what we've seen that this season is, is clear that Frank Lampard wants to play out from the back more, wants to play through the middle more as well, you know, breaking the lines. And and we saw that in its most positive form in, in the, the second goal when yeah, I, think all, I think 10 of the 11 players touched it before uh, before Gordon put it in the back of the net. And it was it was brilliant to see a school of science goal. Um, and I think that's what, that's what Everton, I think that's this is what people need to remember is that's what we're working towards when you see situations like the game against Manchester United when you know Adrissa Gay gave away the ball for the first goal and I think it was Iwobi for, for the second goal. Um, you know, we saw it at the Southampton goal again when, when Adrissa Gay gave the ball away for that. And that's not excusing those mistakes, they're still mistakes, and yeah, you know, these are still top class players that should be able to do a bit with the ball at their feet and have a degree of knowledge as to, to what to do and when and what the sensible option is. But there will be growing pains for any side that's trying to have such a radical overhaul of its approach. And so, you know, we saw it at its best and what it can do on, on Saturday. And it was brilliant. I'm sure everybody would love to see more of that. It was it was a brilliant goal. It must have been up there with one of the goals of the weekend. And, you know, that, that's fantastic to see. But just if... If we see the odd goal again, where, where Everton can see the ball in the middle of the pitch by trying to play that way, I think it's just important just to have patience and say, we, you, we can now see what the end product is. We can see that this Everton side can produce that type of quality. Um, it's just going to have to keep going for it and have the confidence to go with it and the assertiveness on the ball to be able to play like that. And one of the things that will require is for supporters to get behind it and understanding when you know if there's a few teething problems and it doesn't quite work out as, as well as as well as we'd all like. But you know, if, if anything, that goal just showed it was it was the best glimpse that we've probably had so far at what Frank Lampard is trying to get this Everton side to do. And I think we should all take a bit of confidence um, from the fact and comfort from the fact that we've seen a goal like that happen so early in this season. I know we're you know, a third of the way through the season or so. I know that and I know that, you know, it's going to be a long season and Everton, you know, we don't know where they're going to end up. It's going to be a competitive one and bottom end of the, tra- of the table looks a mess, but everybody's beating each other. So, but hopefully Everton can get the results that will just give them the, the players the freedom to play more football like that and everybody gets better as a result. Dan, I think Joe's right there, isn't he, in terms of patience. That's the key word, isn't it? Because I don't, you know, in three games, United's Tottenham and Newcastle were, were hugely frustrating. And, you know, everyone was busy disappointed seeing after Newcastle game with the way it pans out. Saturday was a, a stark reminder that, you know, things are moving in the right direction, but Frank needs time and it'll take time for things to come together. But things are heading in the right direction and we're, we're already seeing improvements from what we witnessed last season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know we didn't do the pod on Friday, but I felt... 
quite a similar game beforehand to the West Ham game early in the season where we'd had, we'd had a few draws and a, a League Cup win, but you felt that we there was a bit of a fork in the road, the West Ham game, that if we got beat, it'll be the back to the last season. If we were going to win, if we won, it'll be we're heading in the right direction. And I felt I felt on the same on Saturday, that the Palace game was similar, that we were back to the same fork in the road. We got, we've gone round and round about it and come down <laughs> to the same junction, you know. And it was the same. And, 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 and with those the same results at the West Ham, it was a completely different feeling after the game. With West Ham, I think we rode our luck a little bit. I know they're probably a better team Palace, but we won 1-0, but we, we rode our luck a bit. They had the post and stuff like that. But on, on Saturday, we virtually controlled the game for 75, 80 minutes out of the 90. And I'm far more confident of the, the results against Palace and, and where it's heading us than the, the results against West Ham. Because even when we've got beat, that's part of the developmental cycle, isn't it? Frank has said, you know, that it's not straight, you know, progress isn't in a straight line. And he would learn things and improve on things in defeat. And, you know, that, that's what that's what good managers do. It's not not take the, the good points from a defeat, it's take the bad points and, and, and improve on them. And you saw that on Saturday. It's try and keep the ball a little bit more. Try and get players in the round the, the centre forwards a lot more than what we have done, and 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 uh, press the opposition far more effectively. And those are the lessons learned from the last three games, and and consequently, you've got a bit of confidence now, haven't you? And the team say, well, if you play like that for the rest of the season, which you haven't been capable of, maybe improve. You know, you're not you're going to be hopefully closer to the top of the table than what you are at the. To, to the bottom, and I think that would I, I get I get the impression that gives a huge confidence result uh, uh, lift that result even more so more so than the West Ham game because of the performance and the manner of the goals and the crowd's reaction as well. But it's always good, isn't it? You know. Obviously, Joel. You know, in terms of confidence, one man who was full of confidence after the game on Saturday afternoon with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. First goal of the season. I think first, you know, real proper performance we've seen from the forward this season. You know, we offered Everton something different. He was, you know, alive wire and caused Palace all kinds of problems. It was just an all round great day, wasn't it, for Everton and the forward that he was back on back on form and looked like, you know, he'd never been away in the way he he, he, he led the line for Blues. Absolutely. And it was, yeah, that was the first. The start of my match report was on his three touches for the goal. You know, the the determination and the desire to get the ball back from Luka Mihailovic, and then that stunning first touch past Guayhi for the you know to get him into the box, and obviously the finish. You know, I mean, it was it was Calvert Lewin at his very very best, and you know, like a couple of other moments that we said. I mean, if somebody else had done that over the weekend, that specifically that touch that took him past the defender, you know, I, I think people would have been been going on about it again and again and again. It was it was a piece of magic and it was hopefully it'll give Calvert Lewin the confidence that he needs and it'll give the rest of the Everton side and set up the confidence that they need in where Dominic Calvert Lewin is now at for everybody to push forward because we suspected it for a long time that this Everton side would be a very different prospect with Calvert Lewin in it. And I think we got a glimpse of that again on on Saturday. And you know, I mean on Friday again when Frank Lampard was talking about how to solve the issues around creativity with within the seventh side. He talked a lot about kind of forging new connections between the players that are there. It's still a relatively new look squad, 
and Dal- Dominic Cavalier coming into it is is an, an, another new addition as such. But one of the things I was fascinated by on on Saturday was the rekindling of the relationship between him and Awobi. Now I'm not sure it was ever particularly strong or or, or impressive with with Awobi and anything that we saw last season necessarily. But obviously the players know each other from having worked with each other for the last few years, and they they really seem to have an understanding of each other um, on on Saturday. Hopefully that that that's not a one off. For Awobi was playing quite close to to Calvert Lewin, and it might have been a result of Awobi playing slightly further forward and. A, Calvert-Lewin perhaps dropping a little bit deeper than normal. Um, but together, they seem to have an understanding of what each other was trying to do. And I thought I took a lot of comfort in that as well. It's the obvious fact that when when necessary, you know, the threat that Dominic Calvert-Lewin poses in the opposite box, for in the, in the opponent's box, you know, for, for crosses that come in both on the ground with his instincts, his predator instincts, and also in the air with obviously his height and his strength and his physical presence. So there's a lot to be excited about with Everton because I think, the, the takeaway from Newcastle was that, you know, it's all well and good having a, a great finisher on the pitch, but if you can't create anything for him, then Everton aren't actually any better off if he's just going to be isolated the whole time. Well, he wasn't isolated at all on Saturday against Crystal Palace. And, you know, if, if Everton can continue to provide him with opportunities, then you have no doubt that he'll take plenty of them. So... You know, it really, it really was encouraging to see that, and hopefully he, he'll get his swagger back now a little bit because because Everton do need that. You know, they do need that. They have looked toothless on too many t- occasions, and and I think that they have left themselves a little bit vulnerable. In you know, it's only Frank, Frank Lampard and Kevin Farrell had a lot to do in the summer transfer window. Like really, there were issues that needed addressing all over the all over the park. And yeah, that was obviously up top as well, particularly with Richardson going. But even when Richardson was there, it was still probably a, a, a decent attacker, a decent attacker light. But it was clear that Lampard wanted to address the spine of the team first and make the team more solid in defence and midfield, which he did. And, you know, and when you've seen Calvert-Lewin's track record of goals and when you saw the, the, the condition that he was in throughout the summer, you know, whilst obviously it left, and exposed if he did get injured. I can kind of understand why he almost saw that as an area to improve last or one that he could take a chance on. Obviously, it didn't work because Calvert-Lewin then got injured and we've missed him for the first you know, first 10 or so games of the season. But Evan is clearly a different prospect with with him in the side. I think we've all been hoping that that would be the case whilst he's been out. It's felt torturous is that the length of the time that he's been out. And I think everyone began to fear after those early glimpses of him back in the side that he wasn't going to be the big antidote to all the problems that Everton had well, we, you know, going forward. Well, we saw on Saturday that you know, when, you get, when you give the service to him, when you play in the right way, then you know, he, he can score goals, he can pose a threat, he can link midfield and attack. You know, he can help Everton work it around the opposition, you know, defensive midfielders and and centre-backs, and, and all of a sudden everything are much more, you're a much better prospect. So hopefully we'll see that. Hopefully that wasn't a one-off, and we'll see that in the next few games as well. Hopefully it's not a, a puzzle that opposition defences find easy to solve, and you know, Everton can be a lot more creative, score a lot more goals, and fire their way up the table with Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the side now. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, jokes for Sunday, in terms of not a one-off, it was almost on Saturday that was the blueprint set, wasn't it, of how Everton need to play with Calvert-Lewin to get the best out of them, in terms of his most effective, and for almost more of an attacking threat than what they have from so far this season. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it helps when you're playing against Palace, who play quite. They play quite deep themselves and get teams on. You know, uh, get teams on the break. Um, I, so consequently, we could push forward a little bit more. I think. And con- you know, so, with, with Carvalhoon for me, I, it will. Some of it will depend on the opposition play, but we've got to get our wingers operating effectively, haven't we? With Carvalhoon, he's somebody who thrives on that service. Both, it was good to see who will be playing, as I say, closer to the penalty box than he has done before. And it was also good to see, by the way, that um, Calvert-Lewis played that is not necessarily a, a, as forward as you know, I think he could create chances for himself. But that was quite a neat, neat touch, wasn't it, around the, the Palace defender and, and good finish. It was not necessarily like a will be something that I would associate with uh, Calvert-Lewis. But, but, um, so that was good. But we've got to be. If you've got Cavaloon in the team and you're not really posing a forward threat, the general rule that's not his strength. Really, you've got to um, you've got you've got to make things happen in the rest of the team, and, and we saw signs of that on Saturday, and that's that's the way forward for us. And um, it's it's good that he's got off the mark. I'm just wondering whether whether if Cavaloon would whether McNeil would be a better player, better option for you. Wide left, or you know, then and it'd be, be interesting to see whether Gordon played wide right on on Saturday. Whether McNeil playing wide left, if you've got Carvalho's a better option to get get those balls across, but that's for Frank to sort out. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great, it's great to say, it's great goal. I mean, the good thing about it, and I was going to say, is all three goals were all in different ways. <laughs> Saturday, but they're all completely different goals, and that that was great to see. And uh, he underrated the first goal for Carvalho. I thought it was excellent. So as I said, say to you at half time, Connor thought the goal he should have done more. He did, yeah, he did say that. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say back to you, it, would, it wouldn't be an Everton goal without you finding somebody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, it's Carvalho's job. It's a paraphrase, uh, Roy Keane, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, just, just before we finish, I want, I want to touch on something. Obviously, I was part of a small number group of journalists. We spoke to Calvert-Lewin after the game on, on Saturday, and he was very open and honest, and he spoke about you know how he's had to deal with the most difficult difficult 12 months of his career, you know, how it's been you know difficult looking at being sidelines, having to watch on, and you know, and how frustrating it's been for him, and you know, kind of he felt like things have been slipping away from him, stuff like that. And I think we always forget, don't we, that you know, you know, footballers obviously pays a lot of money and there's a lot of you know high profile around them that they are normal people and you know for someone who you know lives and breathes the game like Dominic Carver does being injured is incredibly tough being injured for a year you know must be extremely painful and, and an emotional say it's you can have all the money in the world but if you're not doing what you want to do then you're not going to be very happy are you no, no, I think uh, I think we need to bear that in mind as he continues his return that he you know, deserves the patience. You know, we all know what a servant he's been to the club. And we all know, you know, just exactly what he can provide when, you know, when when he's when he's back and firing. But these things do take a little bit of time, and will take a bit of time for him to regain the confidence in his body. And it's clear that that's something that you know, Frank Lampard has been focused on as he's you know cautiously brought him back in. And I think it's also something that's probably worth bearing in mind as as we get towards you know, the back end of this run of fixtures, and you know we potentially see Yerry Mina come back, and then over over the winter break when you know. 
if Yerimina hasn't come back, we'll probably start to come back. Ben Godfrey, Andros Townsend, you know, there's some big players there for Everton that have, you know, suffered some really, really significant injury issues over either this season or stretching back to, you know, even longer. I mean, Mina, uh, Mina, Townsend and, and Godfrey, have, to be honest, have been out for most of this. Well, by the time we get to, to the end of this year, they'll have been out for most of this calendar year and that'll have an impact on on all of them and, and patience is, is needed when when they come back, I think. So you know, Patterson's another one who's had, you know, he's on his second big injury of the of the calendar year so far as well. So, you know, I, th- I think people need to have patience in them and show that, you know, the, the support is there because ultimately, you know, these are players that they want the same things as the fans. You know, the fans want them to be on the pitch, giving their all for the club and, and, and you know, finding you know, positive performances to help take the club forward. And, and obviously the players want that as well. And I don't think we should forget that. Gav, just to finish on Calvert-Lewin, but he was asked afterwards in terms of, you know, Frank Lampard managers and return to action and, and, and you know, the way he's been kind of phased back into playing. And he couldn't have spoke, you know, more of his gratitude towards Frank, towards Frank Lampard for the way he's managed his return. The fact he has taken his time. Again, we see, you know, more, another thing here where Frank Lampard is proven right and like you know, despite criticism from some quarters, obviously we spoke about it on, on this podcast ourselves. You know, it almost is like the manager knows best, and you know, it's by Frank Lampard is doing what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, I think the only query I'd have with, with some some what what Frank has said with Dominic and what's actually happened occasionally they've not tied together where he said they would be ready in the fortnight and he wasn't and and stuff. But that's that points to probably some unexpected problems. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm surprised he's, he's he had 15 minutes in a couple of matches. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he'll be like that to the end of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. But it's good to see that he's come back and he's playing, played 70 odd minutes, did he, at Newcastle, was it? Um, yeah. yeah. So he played, you know, Boca Saturday. Uh, so that, so was, once he's come back into the team, his progress in terms of his minutes has been. Shot up, hasn't it? The trajectory of it, and, and yeah, and that, that reflects um, that reflects well on Frank. And, and I suppose this is where the World Cup could help, really, is he knows he can probably play him in the three games now, knowing that there's a, a break, assuming he doesn't go to the World Cup. I think he might go to the World Cup, never like that, you know, that could be still on the agenda. Assuming, assuming he doesn't, he's got three games now, hasn't he, where he can go full tilt, can knowing full well that he's then got like. A month off, five weeks off, um, and I think that that that's also part of the thinking in terms of the minutes he's playing at the moment. Yeah, for the moment, yeah, um, but it's it's you just got to hope that this is the end and the start of. Mm. I would imagine the second half of Calvert Lewin's career because he's so. I think the first half is finished, and now we're the second half, aren't we? Where he's in his peak years. And let's hope it's less injury, less injuries than what he's had over the last what eighteen months, something like that. Eighteen months, two years. Right, gents, we will leave things there. I think we've chewed enough, chewed the fat enough over all things Crystal Palace from from Saturday. But we will, of course, back on Friday to preview Everton's upcoming Premier League clash against Fulham at Craven Cottage as the Blues take on a familiar foe in Marco Silva. And we'll also look back on Frank Lampard's pre-match press conference, which will take place before we record. But for today, my thanks to Gavin and Joel for joining me. You'll be listening to the Road Blues podcast.
You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.